Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. And did not know that it was Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She's supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary. She turned and she said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these words these things to her. Imagine talking, if you will, and dining with someone who had who died and whose funeral you attended. I know you'll probably say to yourself, yeah, right. That will never happen. My question to you is, are you sure that it will never happen? My answer is that it can and it will happen. So this morning I want to talk to you from the title Discovering the Empty Tomb. Before I do, I think it's important to dispel a couple of myths, though there be many. First, there is a book written by a descendant of Abraham that denies the death of Christ. The book reads this way. That they, that be my interpretation, Jews, said in boast, We killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. But they killed him not, nor crucified him, but so it was made to appear to them. And those who differ therein are full of doubts, with no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to follow, or of a surety they killed him not. Nay, Allah raised him up from up upon to himself, and Allah is exalted in power. And of course, you can guess where that is and why. That's from uh, Surah 4, 157 and 158. The word Surah simply is the Muslims, uh, the Quran's chapter, where you're saying chapter. So when we closely examine this book, it becomes clear that much of what is written by his author was copied from the Bible and distorted to suit his own personal agenda. The person who wrote this book, and it was only one person, started to write it in AD 12 and died circa AD 32. In 20 years, one person's hatred for the Jewish nation 
spurred him to leave behind a vestige of hate. It is not worth giving serious attention to when it comes to learning about the divine truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. As a student in business law, I learned that, that you don't ever put one person in charge of everything. Why? Because the temptation to lie, to cheat, and to steal becomes too great a burden. Keeping that in mind, we have the Holy Bible. Because the temptation to, uh, and the Bible written by more than 40 men over a, a span of 1,500 years documents the consistent unfolding of God's true divine plan for reconciling mankind to himself. God's plan was first revealed as a total foundation of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. In short, God spoke the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ long before our Lord came forth in human flesh. In fact, Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Those are the words God spoke to Eve and Satan in the garden after Eve had lied as Eve had been lied to and tempted by Satan concerning God's command to Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the violation of which would result in dire consequences that would have a rippling effect throughout all humanity. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 informs us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, that is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man and or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped to every good work. When Paul wrote, when while Paul in Romans 15, 4 says this, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now God's word written, spoken, and manifested in the life of Jesus Christ gives us hope for a future beyond this earthly realm. We have hope that God is a God of love, a God of grace, of mercy, of compassion, and patience. For the believer, expectation and strength is found in God's word, not in the hateful, meaningful, meaningless truth. Now, the second myth I want to dispel on this morning is simply this. There is the notion that Easter is about a rabbit eating a block of chocolate and with the melodious crooning of modern days Let's get it all in the background, producing a chocolate egg. First, the notion is ridiculous. If I remember my science, rabbits are oviparous, 
they are they are, are not open for us, but they are five before us. And that is rabbits don't lay eggs. They is certainly not chocolate ones, and they don't give birth. They give birth rather to live bodies. That said, Jesus is not dead. He is alive. How do we know that he is not dead but alive? And I'm glad you asked that question. This morning, I want to share three important eyewitness testimonies to prove that Jesus is alive and not dead. First, there is the testimony of Mary Magdalene. Second, there is the testimony of the guards that were guarding too. I call it the cover-up. And thirdly, there is the reveal, and that is the testimony of the disciples who actually saw Jesus after he had risen from the dead. Let's go to Division 1, the testimony of Mary, verse 1. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And I see here in this testimony of Mary that Mary made a discovery, that Mary came to an assumption, and that Mary was the first eyewitness. Let's take a look at this discovery under Mary's testimony. Mary rolled early Sunday morning, first day of the week, for the purpose of going to the tomb, wherein the body of Jesus had been placed. While John chose to single out Mary, why he chose to single out Mary Magdalene, according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there were at least three women in total that rose early Sunday morning to go to the tomb. How do we know? Mary, in reporting her discovery, of the empty tomb to the disciples said, and we do not know where they laid him. Their purpose for going to the tomb was to gain access to Jesus' body to properly prepare it for burial. How do we know that? First, we're told that they had they had with them prepared devices. That's the first thing we know. That's our first clue. They had prepared spices. The women had prepared some spices, which means they had conversation and they had purpose in their heart that as soon as the Passover was over and done with, that they would go to Jesus' tomb and they would take his body and they would they would wrap they would they would cover it with spices, as was the practice of the Jewish people of that day, and then they would wrap him tightly in those spices, and there he would lay. In rest. So they had prepared spices. That's the first one. The second one is that uh, we know that they were going with the tomb to gain access to his body because they said, secondly, the women asked the question, who will go away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? So we see that they had a specific purpose in mind for going to the tomb early on Sunday morning. Matthew reported that a great earthquake occurred while the ladies were making their way to the tomb. 
And the angel of the Lord had come down from heaven and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes was, that he was wearing were as white as snow. Now there were God, I kind of remind you of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, how he stood there before Peter, James, and John, and with, with Moses and Elijah appearing before him, and Jesus began to, to, begin to emit exceedingly bright light, which is a really, it was a revelation of his status, his, his, his divine heavenly status before descending into heaven and the earth. And his clothes were white, so white that foolish soul could not cleanse them. It reminds you of that. The angel reminds you in that respect. Now there were guards stationed at the deceiver's home at tomb. A choice word of the priests and the Pharisees of Jesus. They ordered there by Pontius Pilate at the request of the chief priests and Pharisees. They made their request because they remembered Jesus' words, and after three days, I will rise. Ah, glory to God. Later we will see that those words were not idle words, but they were true indeed. And so we come from Mary's, Mary's discovery to Mary's assumption. And many times when we see something, when we come upon something, we automatically assume something that's not true. In law, when a question is asked and it's not been, there's no evidence been presented to substantiate the reason for the question or uh, the assumption that the attorney will say, objection, Your Honor, assuming facts not in evidence. See, Mary assumed, verses 2, verse 13, and verse 15, uh, that something had happened to Jesus, something nefarious uh, undercover had taken place at the tomb of Jesus. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Verse 13, because they have taken him away, taken away my Lord, I do not know where they have laid him. And then verse 15, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Three assumptions made by Mary concerning the empty tomb, the absence of Jesus' body. Now, given the victory all, Harvard advises you for Christ, it is not too far-fetched to conclude that someone could have taken Jesus' body during the night to discourage his followers. But it was just an assumption. It was not supported by credible evidence. Peter and the disciple whom the Lord loved rushed to see for themselves whether Mary had reported what Mary had reported was true. They found the tomb just as she had reported. It was empty. The body of Jesus was not there. Now, and there could be two reasons for that. The first one is that someone came in the middle of the night and indeed took Jesus' body and removed it. But there is a second option. There is a second possibility 
and that is that Jesus really did, after three days, rise alive from the dead. That is possible. Here it says, so Mary then becomes their immaculate, out of whom seven demons had been cast by Jesus our Lord. She was the first eyewitness. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 4 and verse 11. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. While and now, while they were going, behold, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. Now we have here at least five eyewitnesses that tells us the stone covering the mouth of the tomb of Jesus had been moved. The first witnesses were the Roman guards. And the guards shook of fear of him. That is the angel sitting atop the stone that he had just rolled away from the mouth of the tomb where Jesus had been laid. laid. And he became and they became like dead men. And some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests. So we think we have eyewitnesses that actually were there to see the stone rolled away. And we have eyewitnesses that came, Mary and the other Mary, when they walked and made their way to the tomb, by the time the earthquake had finished and they arrived at the tomb, they too saw that the stone had been rolled away. And so now we move on from our observation to our next point, and that is what people do when they want to conceal the truth from someone. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever tried to conceal something from somebody because you didn't want anybody to find out? Well, what we observe next is what people do when they want they don't want you to know something. They conceal the truth from someone or from you. That, that reminds me of the testimony, rather, that this is the testimony of the guards, or this is what I call the cover-up. Verses 12 and 15. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Verse 13, they tell them his disciples came at night and stole them away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed, and this saying is commonly reported about the Jews until this day, this very day. Listen, under the cover-up, any time there's a cover-up, there must have been a report and in this particular case, the cover-up involved the guards who guarded the tomb of Jesus. 
Verse 11, now when they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. There can be no cover-up, my brothers and sisters, without a testimony of what has occurred. The guards were eyewitnesses to the divine work of God through his heavenly angels. Another part, another aspect of a cover-up is the meeting of the mind. There's always going to be somebody that wants to meet. There will always be someone that will work together, come together with their minds to cover up something that they don't want anyone to know about. And when it comes to, when it came to Jesus Christ, there are many people today that will sit and do whatever they can to prevent the gospel of Jesus Christ from coming forward. But how many of you know that it does not matter what men do because God is omniscient, he's omnipresent, and he's omnipotent. There is nothing anyone can do literally to hide from God, and whomever God chooses to reveal things to, no one can hide that from God. No one can hide the truth from God. No one can even lie to God because God is truth. And the Bible teaches us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And God's eye of the Lord searches the heart. God searches our heart so he knows these things that go on in our heart, whether we tell anybody or not. And so if someone is hiding something, God sees it because nothing can be hid from God. Yes, things can be hid from men. And in this particular case, the, the, the chief priests and the elders decided after hearing the report of the guards that they would come up with a plan to dispute any potential, any potential claims that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Now, here's what the guards say. Here's what the, 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 the priest said here in, in, in the 12th verse. Anytime a group of the fairies near you wells get together, you best believe it is for no good. The Spanish have a saying, tell me who you live with, and I'll tell you who you are. Well, we need only to look at these chief priests and elders to know they were up to no good because they were men born of pure ethical standards. Yeah, I don't miss that. They were born of ethical standards. They were hateful men posing as servants of the one true and living God, creator of heaven and earth, and all that is within them. They, we had a meeting of the mind for none, for, for, for less than honorable reasons. And so then, anytime you have a cover-up, you have you got you got a report. Then you have a meeting of the mind to try to conceal the thing that has been revealed. And then thirdly, you have a bribe because you because a bribe will try to keep the mouths of those who actually witnessed the events occur to be shut so that they don't tell anyone. In order that there's a various a various plan, they go forward with people thinking. And to think what they want them to think. And in this particular case, there was a bride. Notice that they were the elders uh, in their in the, in the priest, chief priest, in their puny little collective mind thought up. And I don't I think that no one has ever thought of this before. I think this is the first time I've ever heard of anybody saying, uh, coming up with an idea like this. Uh, 
That's wrong. They handed the soldiers a large sum of money to keep silence and to run interference for them with the governor when should the word get out about what took place at the tomb where Jesus had once laid. So they brought these guards silence and they brought these guards integrity and these guards gave up their integrity for money. Kind of reminds you of Judas Iscariot, doesn't it? For a few pieces of silver, they would, he sold out of Christ. And so these guys sell out the truth for money. Next, and finally, we come to the heart of our message this morning. Testimony of the disciples, that is, the truth being revealed. And I've already read 11 through 28 for you this morning. So let me just move on in the interest of time. And we'll move on here and we'll see that. And I want to talk to you about the truth being revealed. First, the truth was revealed by Mayor Magdalene. Uh, and then, second, it was revealed by the two men on the road to Emmaus. And then, thirdly, it was revealed by the disciples. And we're going to go in that order, and we will finish in this way. Mark 11 through 18, and Mark 16, verses, I'm sorry, John chapter 11, verses 11 through 18, of that 20th chapter, and Mark chapter 16, verse 9. And now, and Peter and the disciples whom Jesus loved had departed from the empty tomb, scratching their heads, Mary remained behind Christ. And I guess she began to wonder what truly happened to Jesus' body because she stooped down after Peter and John had fallen into the tomb and saw that it was empty and had gone away scratching their heads and she looked into the tomb. And when she looked in there, she saw two forms of evidence of Jesus' resurrection and, re- and revealed that they were revealed in this pericope or passage of Scripture. There are two forms of evidence of Jesus' resurrection that are revealed in this passage of Scripture. First form of evidence. There were two angels in the empty tomb. One at the head and the other at the feet of Jesus, where Jesus' body was laid. The angel asked her why she was crying. It is an interesting to note their response both to their presence and their words. At this stage of her grief, I'm sure fear was a consideration because she did not fall on her face. John doesn't report that she fell on her face. Scripture doesn't say that Mary shook with fear. Scripture is very silent or anything of that nature. However, it does show. But it does say this, that how do we reach, so I ask the question, how do we reach this conclusion that she was so beyond herself that she did not respond as one might expect one who just saw two angels respond by her response? While crying, she calmly answered them, because they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. 
Now Luke reports that two angels stood by them, bearing her companion in his shining garment. When the ladies saw them, and they bowed with their faces to the earth, the Jew asked them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. So now we have the evidence of the angels. In addition to the evidence of Mary Magdalene, in addition to the evidence of the gods. I love this. Why is evidence so important? What is this importance of evidence? Because evidence tends to prove the veracity of the thing being declared or being reported. We have different forms of evidence. We have circumstantial evidence. We have we have demonstrative evidence. We have documentary evidence. We have um, the physical evidence. We have testimonial evidence. And so we have various forms of evidence. And so what we are seeing here, the scripture gives us that, that physical evidence, that direct evidence where we see the stone being rolled away. We know the earthquake comes. We see the angel sitting about the stone that he had rolled away. We see the angels in the tomb. We see the emptiness of the tomb, circumstantial. We can see that because it's not there, then something happens to the body. Mark reports that they encountered one young man clothed in a long, and that is an angel, clothed in long, with a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. The young man and angel said to them, do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth. Now, how do they know that he see, they see Jesus of Nazareth except they come from heaven above? Who was crucified? He is risen. Glory to God. He is not here because he is risen. He can see the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, emphasis on Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Mark 16, verses 5 and 7. And Matthew gives his account of what happened also. The angel whose appearance was announced with an earthquake conversed with the ladies while sitting about the stone that he had rolled away from the mouth of the tomb in which Jesus had once laid. He told them, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord laid. Jesus no longer occupies the tomb. Why? Because the word from God through his angels was that he is risen, just like he said he would. Second form of evidence that we come across is the testimony of the guards that were guarding Jesus' tomb. Matthew tells us that the guards saw the angel from heaven roll back the stone and sit upon it. That, that they shook like leaves on a tree in a great storm. And all the color in their faces just left them. They became like dead men. Some of the soldiers ran to report what had happened to the chief priest. So here we have other witnesses, although we might call them hearsay witnesses, and in the court of law, 
unless their hearsay evidence is not necessarily admissible as true evidence, because it's a third party or second party, what have you. Uh, but as the, what they have, but so we have this not direct outreach, is the chief priests and the elders. It is clear the priests believe their report because they paid them to keep quiet, and if anyone were to talk to them, they were to lie and say his disciples came at night and stole them away while we slept. Let me ask you a question. How likely is it, really, how likely is it that a bunch of people are going to come and roll away a heavy stone and the guards not know it. Highly unlikely that that would occur. So even so, even on his face, he puts even on just the surface look at this thing. And you have to ask the question: Really? Do they really expect somebody to believe that this stone, as great as it is? taking more than one person to move, and you got all of these people coming to roll away the stone and to steal Jesus' body, why? So that they can tell a lie that he is risen when in fact we had it. Well, I, I have a problem with the report of the, of the, uh, that, that the uh, priest told the soldiers to give if they are asked the question, what happened to the body? Because the second question is this. How do they know if they were asleep that they were Jesus' disciples that came and took the body? If they were asleep. So there's another question. So now even in that answer, then you see that they're lying. So they're not very smart. And of course, the penalty for falling asleep on watch is death for the guards. And so the priest said, well, we'll run out of theories for you. If anybody, if you get to the governor, then we'll come to the governor and we'll, we'll, we'll work something out. We'll, we'll, put, we'll put some money in his hand, a great sum of money. We'll, we'll buy your freedom. We'll buy your life so you won't die. For your faith. And the truth of the matter is to tell us that they were not asleep. They were wide awake when the angel came because they, they shook like leaves and became like dead people. Huh. So because of their lie, many believed that Jesus' disciples had actually come overpowered the guards and stole Jesus' body. I know it was a lie. But then what gets me, what really gets me, is the vulnerability of people and the accepting of people of lies readily, more readily than they are accepting of the truth. Why is it not possible that Jesus could have gotten up like he said he would? Listen, he went to Jairus' daughter, he went to Jairus' house, his daughter had died. He went in and said to Lucy, to Lucy Kumai, to Lisa Kumai, and said to you, young girl, arise. And he took her by the hand, and she arose, and he said, give her something to eat. She was dead, and she was awoke, and she was awakened by a quiet. And then four days after Lazarus had died, Jesus said, roll back the stone, and then 
When they rolled back the stone, Jesus cried out to him in a loud voice, Lazarus, I'm poor. And Lazarus came hopping out of the tomb with his dead clothes, with his, with his shroud on, wrapped in all the linen cloths that they wrapped him in, and Jesus said, loose him and let him go. And the witnesses that were there saw it all. So why then would it be impossible for Christ to live again? Jesus was not a liar. He was a perfect. He was perfect in every way. He was sinless because he was God in humanity, in human flesh. He was perfect, and they said that he. So he was perfect. So why is it impossible? When he raised others from the dead, that he could not raise himself from the dead or be raised by God from the dead. Why? It is not impossible. Let's go to the two, two witnesses on the road to Emmaus. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35, and then, of course, Mark chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. These two men, Cleopas, Cleopas and the other, and the one other whose name is not supplied to us, were walking in the village of Emmaus, walking to the village, rather, of Emmaus, just having a conversation about the crucifixion of Christ. They just believed that Christ had been crucified. This man had performed so many miracles. This man that had cleansed the leper, raised the dead. And what about the one, the widow named son? Widow named son. Jesus was, they were walking in a procession to bury him, the only son of his mother. And Jesus stopped and laid his hand on the fire, or the, or the, we call it the coffin, and the young man arrived. The man arose, the young man arose, and the man was, was returned alive to his mother. Why then is this man, with all these miracles that he performed, turning water into wine, multiplying the Two fishes, five, three fishes, five loaves of barley loaves, and then feeding 5,000 on one time, and then feeding another 4,000 on another time, who cast out demons, who healed uh, the, the, the man, the, the nobleman's servant, who, who healed the woman's body, the woman's child, uh, daughter's body from demons, the man and his boy who cast out demons from the man, the son, that, that was present at the, when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. If Jesus did all of these things, and he did, how about the paralytic man that was lowered down through the roof, and Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Take up your bed and go home. Jesus is the one that can forgive sins. Jesus, who is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, who is the giver of life. Jesus, who is the one who cast out demons. If he did all of that, how in the world could he be crucified? They could not understand it. They could not fathom this man dying. And yet scripture tells us that he must die. And then on the third day get up. They couldn't believe that it happened. Jesus having risen joined them. When he prepared to, when he was prepared to depart from them, the two asked Jesus to stay because of the late hour. So Jesus complied. It was at the breaking of the bread that their eyes were opened and they knew that he was, that he with whom they had been walking and talking was Jesus. 
In fact, they looked at one another and said, did not our hearts burn again as he explained to us the scriptures? When their eyes were open, Jesus vanished from their sight. Immediately they rose up and they went back to Jerusalem and they reported to the disciples what they had what had happened to them. We saw the Lord. He is alive. He is not dead. Huh. I don't know about you, but that's good news. And then we have the report of the disciples. Jesus appeared first to the ten, verses nineteen through twenty-three of John chapter twenty. So while Jesus' disciples were locked in the room, Jesus made his entrance. I love this. Because this speaks to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the corruptible takes off the corruption, corruptible, and puts on incorruption. That resurrected body. This body cannot pass through a door without opening it, unlocking it, and opening it. But that resurrected body allows Jesus to walk straight through the door. And then that, that resurrected body that we will receive as believers will allow us to walk through doors and walls and think where we want to be and we will be there. Glory to God. We don't have to worry about standing in these long lines in the airport. We don't have to worry about standing in a long bus line. We don't have to worry about standing in line to get this or to get that. All we have to do is think it and it is so. To allay their fears, he said, peace be with you. As proof that he had risen from the dead, he showed them the nail holes in his hands and in his side, and he did the hole in his side. John 20, 20, in Luke chapter 24, verses 39 and 40. The next Jesus appeared to the ten, and then next Jesus appeared to the eleven when Thomas was present, because Thomas was not present during that first visit from Jesus. There is always someone who refuses to believe what someone else tells them. Sometimes that's good, and sometimes it's not good. Thomas was from Missouri, the show me state. He would not believe unless he saw it firsthand. I like him in this regard, but I don't like him in that he did not believe. So eight days later, Jesus appeared again. And immediately, Jesus, and that reminds me of what John chapter 2, verse 24, 23, and 24 says, that Jesus did not trust himself to anyone because he knew men and he knew what was in them. So he did not trust himself and go here. Jesus, knowing the heart of Thomas, comes out immediately before Thomas says a word. He says, to Thomas, place your fingers in the nail holes in my hand. Place your hand in my side. He encouraged Thomas not to be a disbeliever, but to believe. At that, Thomas fell to his knees and cried out, my Lord and my God. When you have faith in Christ, you don't have to see the belief. There are not, there are a lot of Thomases in the world, and not all of them live in Missouri. Uh, listen, in John chapter 20, 17, verse 20, Jesus prayed this prayer. I pray not only, I pray not only for these, but those who will believe on me because of their testimony. You don't have to see the physical Christ to know that he's real. And 
then here's the third one. I'm going to conclude with this third one here. More Jesus was seen by more than 500 at once. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. The apostle Paul presents us with indirect evidence uh, uh, that not only was well, he received testimonial evidence from those that, that he met, but he says here that the Lord, the, our risen Lord, was seen by the disciples. He was also seen by more than 500 others at one time, most of whom were still alive while a few, while a few had fallen asleep at the time of Paul's writing. Next, Paul informs us that James saw him, that he appeared to the disciples, and then last of all, he appeared to him while he was on the road to Damascus. Paul experienced and saw the risen and glorified Lord for himself while traveling on the road to Damascus. Paul was a radical. He was a man that was out to crucify the church. Jesus cried out, Paul called out to him from heaven, said, Saul, Saul, why prosecuted thou me? Don't you know you cannot kick against the bricks? And Paul cried out, Who are you, Lord? And see, that first Lord, no, 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 no. Don't miss it. See, that first Lord was just a, a search. But when Jesus said, I am Jesus Christ, whom you persecuted. And then Jesus said, and then Paul says, What must I do for you, Lord? See, at that point, he recognized the sovereignty, the affinity, the power, the authority of Jesus Christ. He recognized at that point that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and he was in heaven speaking down to him. He recognized that Jesus was alive and that Jesus was everything that he had heard people telling him about Jesus. Uh, uh, he was standing right there. He was standing right there when Stephen was gone. And Stephen just said, he looked up in heaven, saw the Lord bending down, and he said, I see heaven, the Lord standing. And then, of course, he died after he said, Lord, do not hold this to their charge. And then he gave up his life. He died. But Jesus was alive when, Thomas, when, when, when Stephen looked up and saw him in heaven. Jesus was alive when Paul was walking down the road to the masses to see who else in the way that he could possibly persecute, bring lots of chain up, grand passengers, and throw in prison because they were worshiping the one true God. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. I don't know about you, but I've given you enough evidence to help you to realize and make up in your own mind yourself, and that's not all the evidence that the Bible presents us with. We can go all the way back to, to the book of Psalms. We can go all the way to the book of Isaiah and the suffering servant. We can go all the way back to all these other passages of Scripture, and we can just draw from Jeremiah and draw out everything that God is saying through his prophets concerning his son. But this is sufficient. The significance of Jesus' death and resurrection was so that every person would have the opportunity to enter into a personal relationship with God. You cannot get to God except you go through Christ. There is no other way to God. I know there are many people telling you there are many things and many ways to get to God, but I want to tell you that's not right. 
is wrong. Jesus himself gives us the answer. Jesus himself makes the statement that no I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So contrary to what is spewed forth each and every day, there's only one way to God, and that is Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Have you come, let me ask you a couple of questions. Have you come to the place in your thinking where you know for sure that if you were to die today, that you have eternal life? Or is that something you're still working on? Secondly, suppose you were to die today and you stood before God, and God asked you why, by name, why should I do this my answer? What would you say to God? Listen, now is the time to make that decision. Don't put it off another day. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are. You're the sound of my voice. Don't put it off. God is waiting for you. He wants to have a relationship with you uh, that will last for eternity. Man, woman, boy, or girl, when you come to God on this morning, this resurrection Sunday morning, this resurrection this Easter morning. Do you understand the significance of Jesus' resurrection? His resurrection means that he was an acceptable sacrifice to God. That means that he was he was he, he was able, because of his sinless, perfect human life, was able to bear the sins, our sin on his body. As he was nailed on that cross, that's the only reason he went to the cross. He did not go to the cross for sins that he committed. He went to the cross for sins that you and I committed. And every human being from the time of Adam all the way over to the day, and even until the time when Jesus returned, he went to the cross for your sins and mine. You said, well, I didn't ask him to do it. You didn't have to ask him to do it. He understood, God understood the importance of who you, he created you to be. Listen, when you receive Christ as your Savior and your Lord, only then, only then, can you truly know who you are. Because you are in Christ, your whole identity, your person, your person who you really are inside is found in Christ. It is not found in your possessions. It is not found in the testimonies of other people. It is not found in your car, in your money. It's not found in your car, in, in, your, in your home, in your prestige. Your identity is not that. Who you truly are is in Christ. And once you find out, once you accept Christ as your Savior and your Lord, then you're on the road to discovering who you truly are and who you truly are and who you truly belong to. That's the only way you're going to find yourself. I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but you don't know who you are. You have to develop this certain image of who you think you are based on the images that have flashed before your eyes on television, that have flashed before your eyes in movies, that have flashed before your eyes all over and in the various places you have served in the magazine, but who you truly are. Who you truly, truly are cannot be learned and discovered until you're in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. So, God is drawing you 
today. Because he wants you to have that relationship with him. He is not willing, my brothers and sisters, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not want you to die and live eternity in hell. He wants you to, and, and, and believe that you're going to die. There are two forms of death, and I'm going to be finished right here. There are two forms of death. There's a physical death, and then there is a spiritual death. See, those who are in Christ will die of physical death, but they will never die of spiritual death. Those who are not in Christ will die twice. They will die of physical death, and they will die of spiritual death. That is eternal damnation in the lake of fire for a stone. I, I, I just implore you, I encourage you to come forth, give your life to Christ. And then begin to study the word of God. Begin to study the life of Christ. Give your life to him. Jesus, my brothers and sisters, is not dead. He is risen. Hallelujah. He is risen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you are everything and all things that we said it. Thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. Thank you for allowing us to see him as he is. We give honor and praise and glory unto you on this day, Father. We exalt and, and, and glorify your name. And we praise you with profound gratitude and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is offering time. It's time to worship the Lord in our giving. This morning, as we prepare to give, we want to give cheerfully, for the Bible says God loves the cheerful giver and will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Amen. So please, at this time, give. Prepare to give. Our ushers will serve you at this time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.